David, my calves are so tight. Have you been running? <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, I have been running. So, well, we're meant to do an evergreen podcast um, in advert where we can use it on any podcast. But if you're admitting to running, this is this is going to be like a, a biannual. This is very funny. That's very funny indeed. Get, <laughs> get off and explain how I can help my tight calves. So, do bad as if you've not heard our very overly long and bad uh, introduction of the. Post roll. Post roll. Post roll. We Post on um, roll. BBC. Um, we we have we're at the running show and national running show and we were walking around just to seeing what cool things there were. There were quite a few cool things. Most of them we knew. And then we saw the pulse roller, which is basically a vibrator the size of King Kong. Um, <laughs> it's not oh. a vibrator. It's a vibrating <laughs> roller with it. Within a foam roller. <laughs> so you cut me off short. You I'm cut not me off sure short. that that's how it's developed. I'm not. <laughs> I'm just. I'm reading out a load of vibrators, and then we put a foam roller over the top of it. <laughs> exactly. That's basically what they've done. So instead of you, if you've ever tried to roll um, your muscles, which is often quite annoying and painful, one of those things that you never end up doing because it's just a bit of a faff. You have to position yourself and then put your whole body weight on stuff and. Um, it's it's just a bit annoying. So this instead, you just put it under wherever you want a little bit of a massage, turn it on, boom, jobs are good and and um and it works works really really well because it's it's exactly like a a focus foam roller but with a little help on the inside. Oh yeah, do we we've got an offer. <laughs> <laughs> so and I was going, that's really interesting, David. And thanks for that. <laughs> So if you want to get one for yourself uh, to help support the podcast, go to pulserow.com and you get 20% off everything on offer. Just use the code FYB for fuck you, buddy. And uh, you'll be rolling away the rest of your days. <laughs> I'm buzzing. I'm buzzing. You'll be buzzing. Exactly. Exactly. No more injuries. Sweet. They're bad. They're boys. And occasionally they talk about running. Yes, it's the Bad Boy Running Podcast with your hosts, Jody Rainsford and David Heller. I must admit I was a clone to be messing around. But that doesn't mean that you have to leave town. But a bye 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 but a bye 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 bye. Hey. hey! How you doing? I'm all right, David Hellard. How are you? I'm. Um, I've well, I've already been explaining well, off record, Jody <laughs> Jody Rainsford, that I am knackered. But... We're both. We're both. I think we're both like really, really tired. So we're we're actually recording this episode pretty early on in the morning, uh, just in because we haven't been able to uh, record uh, an episode in the evening. And uh, and we both we both seem to be just as tired as each other. It's going to be quite a lazy, it's lazy Friday, episode. It's not the end that, of the week. Not that, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's the other thing. Normally we record on a Monday evening, so it's almost like highest energy you can have. <laughs> uh, and then this is like Friday morning. Can't be uh, difficult. It's it's half term as well for me, so I'm exhausted. Well, the um, I'm just about to head off to um, run first run. And oh, this you're is really- going to that, are you? Yeah, yeah, they, um, they, I got some free tickets to go, and, um, and 
it's it's interesting how as someone who's you know without kids in london you forget that not everything's about you and so their program starts like the the main speakers people like paula paula ratcliffe it's all friday afternoon right and and it finishes by sunday lunchtime and so for someone who's used to being a single londoner everything is about you expect people not to be able to leave work until five o'clock six o'clock at the earliest so therefore nothing starts until eight yeah and you know people are just used to getting back late on a sunday at the end of a weekend it's just how life is so things can go until like four or five o'clock at the you know at least so it's just quite weird we're like oh so we're going but actually we're going to miss all of the speakers from the saturday there's no speakers on the sunday there's just a a run and so we're actually just getting one day's worth uh, which you know should be fun anyway but um but because of half term you forget it's because a family is i think it's meant as a family event yeah and so all the all the families have got their kids and so for them actually getting back earlier on the sunday and going down on the friday before all the traffic's probably preferable in both both uh both options yeah no it's really interesting like how much it all changes uh in terms of well, everyone knows how limiting having children is in the first place. And, you know, there's that, there's that famous Michael McIntyre um, speech about, this is how someone without children leaves a house. Oh, look, I'm going to leave a house. And they leave a house. And that actually is a metaphor for, like, everything. Like, going on holiday, uh, travelling anywhere, deciding to do it, everything. It's, it's just, there's so much additional complication from having two completely irrational beings uh, who don't appreciate anything you do yet are still your wonderful children who I make, yeah. I give the impression that my children are terrible. They're not, they're wonderful. Uh, but, uh, but it's just, they, it's all, it's all about them. It's all completely about them and stuff. And so like, you know, you have a, it, like half term is hard because, um, Libby works as well. So when the, when you haven't got school or, or nursery, uh, it's, um, you just it absolutely like decimates your your week and you just can't ever do anything i try i try working when i've got like the kids around and stuff and it's it is utterly pointless utterly pointless well, in some way i see it as um like children a little bit like a, a kind of a gaping wound <laughs> where you know immense pain but actually when people see it you've got you've got quite a bit of pride there and you know it's a real hassle about it oh yeah then, there's nothing there's no right so you meet someone and they, they'll say this as a badge of honor then you'll be like oh yeah you got children okay. i've got two children under five as though that's like the badge of honor You're like Whoa, <laughs> two children under five man you must be that must be like the hard thing people say i've got two yeah i've got two or three children under five you're like oh okay okay so you're like full of rationality and and everything so yeah but but that's the thing like the like strange stuff happens that you don't think so and you kind of become used to it so like for example if someone says oh how about you know i give you a call at seven you're like are you insane are you utterly <laughs> utterly insane at seven o'clock it's like between five and seven that's dinner and bedtime like you yeah like you can you cannot interrupt those like the holy two hours of of doing anything you forget that you lose that the thing is that between that five and seven o'clock when you were like when you were a kid that was like mm, neighbors and then and then dinner wasn't it that's how that's what it used to be but now it's uh now it's just like oh it's just that's the two two hours dedicated to try and wrangle your children into bed well maybe you should serve dinner in bed 
two bears, one stone, e- easier, and then they're already there. Uh, do you know what? Have you ever tried to get a child into bed? That's a weird thing to say, <laughs> taken out of context. I'm not answering that question. <laughs> That's a weird thing to say, taken out of context. Uh, but actually, you know, trying to trying to keep them in bed in the morning, nightmare. Trying to get them back into bed at night, equally as difficult. Um, it's kind of insane. It's kind of insane because they... Um, yeah, it just it, it takes over, and just even even like logistical things um, become an issue as well. So it's actually quite good that Solar Night Run Fest runs set it up for for families because you you have all these logistical problems. Like, what happens if you're both runners and both parents are runners, and uh, you know you got what do you do? You can't both go on a run. Who looks after yeah. the children when you're doing stuff? And you know it makes things like races and stuff. Uh, you know, it's, I, I'd be interested to see how they how they set it up for uh, for families. Didn't realise that it had a family edge to it. But what, what I find quite entertaining is they've got these captains where they because of our registration being like a code or something. I think we've we've not fallen into their usual registration system. So when you register, you're assigned to a team. Right. That has. I think you get your own different color top and you have a team captain who could be Paula Ratcliffe, for example. Oh, and this, okay. is, this is the amazing thing about it. So you've got these team captains who are pretty kick-ass-ish. So, <laughs> oh, I like this ish. This is going to be good. And um, I don't – well, maybe I'm, maybe I'm being unfair. Uh, you, know, you, you tell me if I'm being unfair. So You're being unfair. I've not even heard this, but I'm, <laughs> I'm going to predict that this is going to be unfair. So Captain One. Right. Paul Ratcliffe. Okay. Pretty amazing. Might, captain, may, maybe amazing, but maybe not amazing as a captain. So there, there, there's, a, there's a nuance there. Go on, carry on. Maybe she's not good with oranges and uh, team talks. That maybe is true. Yeah, yeah, possibly. Team two. Yep. Colin Jackson. Okay, that's good. That's good. Pretty amazing. If, if, uh, and for the for the non Brits, he used to be world record holder. I don't think he ever won the Olympics. World champion of the uh, of the hurdles. Team three. Yeah. Steve Cram. Good. That's pretty good. Yeah, he was. In fact, I don't know what he was. He was. He was basically as good as. Um, Sebco, Steve Avett. Steve Avett, yeah, that was it. Well, similar era, but because he was with them, I don't think he ever won an Olympic, but basically won broke world records as well, 1500, 800s, all that. Um, Captain Four. Yeah. Chris Evans' wife. <laughs> who's, wait. <laughs> who's Chris Evans' wife? She's famous or something? No. No, she's not. Okay. <laughs> I don't know her name. Mrs. Evans. <laughs> But then Mrs. Evans. Then they well, it's not Billy Piper, is it? Oh wait a minute, that's that's a long that was a long that time was, ago. That's the previous Mrs. Evans. Yeah. Well, Billy... do you know what? I like that he's done that. To be fair, you know, if I'd organised an event, uh, I'd 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 put like you know my family on the billing as uh, as legendary runners or, or whatever else. I I don't know. She might she she might be amazing at pep talk. She might actually be the funniest person ever. She's going to care more, isn't she? She's going to care more. She's going to work harder for it as well. But I'm thinking more of, if, especially if this is a family event, if you've got two kids and one of them's in team Paula Ratcliffe and the other one's in team Chris Evans' wife, <laughs> well, how, would you, how do you think they'd react? I mean, do they really know who Paula Ratcliffe is anyway? That's the thing. 
Um, but even say your kids went, this is the Olympic. And if they saw the excitement of everyone else around them and everything like that, it's it's the I think kids get a sense of when you're excited. They know it's probably a big deal, but also anything to be able to tell their mates. They they know that this is going to be a biggie. Uh, I don't know. Do you not remember as a kid just getting someone's autograph and you've got no idea who they were? Roger Black came into our school and I remember this was the guy that didn't win that race. That was <laughs> that's what I could remember him for. And the fact that, that my mum is that what you told him? And that <laughs> I didn't. And the fact that my mum always kept saying, Why didn't he close his mouth when he runs? That's all I that's my <laughs> that's what I thought about Roger Black when he came in to have his photos taken in our school. It could have made all the difference. It could have made all the, the difference. <laughs> I don't know. I, I what children? Uh, I can understand that if there if there's a good awareness, if there's an awareness, if it was something like you say Bolt or whatever, someone that is like a, a sort of a modern uh, hero, I could I could kind of see that. But but I then think, you know you look at the know. London Marathon and you're like this person has got the the record, the world record. And I knew who Bob Beeman was when I was younger, and I knew who. How these... old are we talking here? How old is Paula? No, no. How old are these children? Or just hypothetical, hypothetical. I but... don't think. I don't think that stuff like that's as important. I don't. I honestly don't. I think if, for example, if I think about Frida, she would. All she would care about is that the person's team she was nice. That would be it. That literally would be it. it don't, you could come up with all sorts of bollocks about winning stuff and things like that. She thinks I've won the London Marathon you know, for every medal that I've got from it. She thinks it's a winner's medal. So she doesn't, you know, she, she just kind of like doesn't take that stuff into, into account. Okay, but much. what about intelligent children? I mean, <laughs> you're clearly saying your child's an idiot, which fair enough, we should have expected, but... I don't know. Do you know what? You say my child's an idiot. It's a hard thing to take, actually. That's a really... Uh... Uh... You, you are tired. It's going to set you off. Yeah, it could set me off. Um, I oh, welcome think... to Bad Boy Running, do <laughs> yeah, exactly. Bad Boy Running. Well, this is, this is actually very interesting because we, we, you were talking about that mentorship thing. So when, when you go on Facebook now, into the Facebook group, it asks you two, one of two questions. It goes, one, is this group about running? And you're like, mm, what know, a bit iffy. And then the second thing is, I think it, it only as, um, uh, as, as Facebook admins, it goes, do you want to offer mentorship? Which is a weird thing to say in the, face, in the, in the um, Bad Boy Running Facebook group. But it's the different things on offer that are weird. And one of the things is like, do you want to do mentorship in like skills, which makes sense, things like that, but also parenting. And I was thinking, what? It's got, it's got career advancement as well. <laughs> <laughs> do you think these are generic to every group? Because there must be some groups out there that are like, boobs are great or the most, <laughs> the most horrific or just most random groups. Yeah, exactly. Or, or get get Danny down the pub. Yeah, exactly. Or like Helvetica's my favourite font. Oh, do you want to offer some parenting advice? In <laughs> what? What are you talking about? So it's really yeah. interesting that we're now talking about parenting issues. And I feel that this is probably part of that mentorship that you, with zero experience of parenting, uh, is probably you know, is well placed to do it. And me, clearly doing a terrible job as well. So... Well, I mean, I, I, I'm a, a big believer in tough love. 
Um, so that that would be my approach. <laughs> but enough, my approach. enough about your time at boarding school. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I meant. Did I say believer? I said receiver. Receiver. <laughs> yeah. So should we? Should we? Are we going to do it? Are we going to do mentorship just to see what it actually does? I don't to... know. Yeah, what does it? What, what, what does it do? I don't understand what offering mentorship means. Because I've so I've I've clicked down all the the different options and it says members so first we choose the type of support that members of your group would be most interested in um i mean skill building seems like the one that actually boring but i think that could be quite fun because we could do little badges like in the scouts where like push a cyclist over a badge no, we're oh, not why are you saying that why are you that. saying this, that this now? is jody has banned cycling chat in the group oh my goodness why are you doing that don't say stuff like that don't encourage it anymore um but yes i I, is that what you get is that you get badges well i don't know yet but it says members so on the parenting one do you get badges you get like a a rating as to how good a parent you are judged by us like you get you get like seven days non-smacking badge you get you get to do a run uh but members match themselves group members can volunteer as mentors i mean that in itself is worth it for or say that they're looking for a mentor and members then form pairs based on skills and interests oh no this sounds like a terrible, terrible like, running dating. dating service yeah, it does doesn't it and, and like Leisha evans is going to end up being mentor to <laughs> three thousand people <laughs> whether they like it or not yeah. how, how did i end up in this mentor relationship i never asked for this Right, how many how many thousands of miles are you going to be walking while Instagramming this uh, this this year? It's not enough. It's not enough. That's that's his main advice. And it says, then the conversations begin. Members can connect one on one and begin their mentorship program. But what does that mean? Should it what just on Messenger? I assume so. It's, but it says guided by light discussion prompts. So I guess there must be because. Facebook are trying to create a whole new work environment now, which yeah. is similar to, um, I can't remember the names of the river and stuff like that. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So this must be their, their, their way in which they try and say that they're not destroying the world and they're not terrible people, which they are. Uh, and so maybe it comes up with things like, oh, have you talked about nappies? <laughs> and, oh, shit. Oh. Should you feed your children alcohol? <laughs> Question mark. Frowny face. Yeah, possibly, possibly. So, what are we going to do? Should, so, so, should we start off with skills? Let's start yeah, let's off with try skills. Because I think you're right. I think you can get if you get badges for it, it's worth doing. Because I think bought... skills gives us more to play with, doesn't it? As uh... yeah, we just need to, we just, we need to develop some first before we mentor them, though. Yeah, well, we could do we could do skills as parenthood, which is just you've managed to become a parent. <laughs> get that badge straight off the bat you can get it you can get it for the day if you adopt or if you like just acquire a child just acquire a child to get the badge yeah yeah yeah. it sounds like it sounds like project mayhem just gone really really wrong so so when i was younger oh god i was i was a scout from the ages of i'd say nine to 27 just 20 27 so i'm now so you get one of those weird ones like the queen's scout regiment or but i um i realized that instead of doing all these things to get badges 
you could go to second-hand shops and buy badges. <laughs> <laughs> I just bought all these badges. It's like the most decorated scout in history because some of the badges didn't exist anymore. Some of the badges were rubbish. Like, I remember being in Cubs and I don't know what it was called, like... Um, either the domestic badge or whatever. And all I did is I went round to... Some, I mean, for some reason, this sounds so dodgy now. I went round to, like, the scout leader's house and made their bed, like, hoovered what? their lounge... With them in it. And then made... With them, and then... And then cooked them, like, bacon and eggs. <laughs> like, and that was the badge. And you're like... That is, and how many people were in the scouts? Like, <laughs> exactly, there was, like, 30. So week. basically, just get these kids come round and, like tidy up their house do you think we can do that <laughs> <laughs> this is a this is a kind of modern form of it's incentivized form of slavery <laughs> you get the facebook badge <laughs> to get a virtual someone will be keen as soon as it gets gamified and someone's got more than someone else we'll get what we'll do we'll end up with um We'll end up with the wig and runner doing it every day. Let's <laughs> not talk about wig and runner, please. I'm going to cook five bacon sandwiches every day for the rest of my life. Oh. But um, right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm going into the group now, so I'm going to start it up. I'm starting up the skills bad. So, do badders, what skills do you feel that we have and you don't? Or what do you think we could learn really quickly? Uh, by just going on the internet for a few minutes that you want to know about. The weirder, the better, because we're experts in pretty much nothing. <laughs> it's not giving me the option now. <laughs> it, no, after all that. It's a voice recognition. The vo- Facebook's voice recognition is that uh, you were slagging them off and now it's withdrawn all of your options. Oh, it must have been a use it or lose it. Ah. Oh. Ah, oh, but um, well, let's move on to some running chat instead. Then, have you been watching Dan Lawson? No, I haven't, but I've heard a lot about it. Unbelievable! Like, Go on, so well, explain, explain it. So, do bad. If you haven't listened to the Dan Lawson interview yet, do do do. Um, and although he's not really talking about the running that much, he does a little bit. But it's more about rerun, which is to do with um, recycling running gear and how uh, we need to be conscious of our uh, environmental impact but dan has taken on i think it was in fact i'm going to look up his facebook page so i can actually see the full details he was in a seven day race but i think it was around a 1k loop something insanely dull yeah um and they they called it I think it might have even been a world championships I mean I'm gonna say if it's not a world championships it's fine for them to have called it a world championships because I mean if you everyone there's probably the only people in the world who'd want to do it probably did it yeah um but yeah he ended up where are his stats he ended up running 900 kilometers Whoa! And at one point he was in second place, seventy k down. And I'm not. And the other guy finished, I, I believe. But Dan just picked up his pace. Picked so, up his pace. Picked up his pace. So yeah, even so, he had he those. Yeah, I mean, it's 
unbelievably bonkers and he was we need to get him on to talk about it and i think he'll be talking about it at the the national running show the the ultra stage we'll, we'll get him to talk about that and about rerun but i mean that is when you hear about people's challenges that is the next level because even even ones, the ones like the tour de Ghent or, or the about times and races the 200 milers where you can get away with maybe doing power laps power naps potentially like like half an hour here half an hour there but a whole week it's i mean that must be hallucinating on the next level and the fact it was kind of flat i think i mean i only saw the the little clip from his uh, his lovely ladies i don't know his wife or girlfriend but um who she she just cheer him on every now and then as he went past and it, it almost looked like he was in a a caravan park or something as exciting as that so i mean that is the next other than a, a treadmill i can't think of anything that would be mentally harder yeah oh that must be awful and actually a treadmill might be easier in some ways because at least then you've got a screen and people can come and feed you things and yeah really really crazy that's insane that's insanely good yeah yeah, well, what is that a day? That is, um, if you look at like 120k a day, more than that, 130k a day. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah, I mean, when you put it like that, cool. you because you, you almost, if you hear that number, part of me thinks if you could sleep well, and then you have to run. Re- yeah, it's just so because so few people have really gone into that territory. Yeah. When you when you double, you tend to add like an hour to your time, you know, from a uh, from like a marathon up approximately. Um, and that's a very rough rule. That's probably not right. But um, but who knows after two days, after three days and then just one little bit one little bit of sand on day one that gets a slight rough bit on your foot by day six could be that you out for the rest of your life. It's going to be the mental aspect of that. That's the issue. It's going to be, I mean, just the, just taking a rest and then getting back up again and then just pushing on, especially like, you know, like being like 70, so you say 70 K down. Yeah. And then yeah. knowing you need to, I don't know, actually, maybe that's better. I know that sounds ridiculous. Maybe that's better. Maybe having, <clears throat> being well out in front is quite boring. When you've got to catch something, you're going to catch someone. Yeah. There's a bit more, there's a bit more in it, isn't there, mentally? Um, which, and, and especially because it's kind of open-ended as well, that it's all down to you. It's not as if like someone's, you know, like it's a point-to-point race and someone's finished it and there's no way you're going to catch them now. It's a, you know, there's still, there's still the opportunity to do it. So there's, mentally you can perk yourself up in order to do that. But yeah, it's like, that's like uncharted territory. You're right. And it probably depends on partly your psyche because, um, some people are very good at being paranoid and using that fear to, to run, run. So if I've done a rat race event, for example, or I've done well, one of them I came in at like 45 minutes ahead of the next guy, but I was racing it 
because I didn't know if he was 30 seconds behind me at any yeah. time. And you, cause you can never tell how far back someone is. So, although I guess that doesn't work in this, does it? Because you know exactly where they are. Yeah. Yeah. And that's it. Yeah. Complete. And also, and so that's what, that's kind of, it's, it's, um, so that's the, that's the thing, isn't it? If you, so how, so how come, and that's a half come, day lead. It, yeah. It's insane. And you, you could, you could sleep the whole night and come out neck and neck. That's the, yeah. I mean, we. It's a different. It's a different level, isn't it? It's a different level of like strategy and everything else. It's what, when it gets to something like that. It's not just about. I mean, like you know, obviously endurance and the physical aspects of the thing, but the mental side and the strategy side has got to be. It takes over on a different level. But yeah, but the, but the thing is, after that amount of time, just thinking about that the whole time, I'm like, what do you go through with that mental state in order to be able to, to keep doing that on day five and six? Yeah. yeah and and i think you almost need you need to have a manager there or a coach there who tells you what you're doing yeah who makes your strategy for you and you tell them how you feel but they ultimately say this is what we're going to do because you could that's the thing if you knew you could sleep for four hours quite easily because you've got time that might be the right thing but then again what what the might the right thing might be to stay out and do an extra eight hours and put it so far beyond them that they're not even going to attempt yeah, it. Yeah, that's it. It's all that, yeah. And yeah. the thing is, yeah, and it, the other th- I suppose the other thing is that it's a more controlled environment. Like, at least you can... Because the issue with, with, with longer races, um, oh, you, know, you know, 200 miles, 300 miles, things like that, is not knowing when to sleep. Like, you know that you can sleep at certain yeah. points, but sometimes the points at which you can sleep aren't when you're tired. So when yeah. do you know, and, and when do you know it's real, you know, it's the tiredness that you can go to sleep to as opposed to the tiredness mm. that means you're just going to sit there being tired, but not really, you know, not really go to sleep. And so I suppose you're in a more controlled environment so you can control that better. But is that necessarily a good thing? Because like you say, you know, you, you could just keep pushing through until, but then does that mean that they then affect your performance? Oh, it's so much. I, I think over yeah. that period of time, there's so much, um, there's so much learning about yourself and about what you can do and about how to, how to race that you'll, you'll get. It'd be great. And I'll, even if you, you might even get to the point where you're almost not human. You're just so out of, what? You're, you're just, you're just so out of control of, you're just so tired that you don't re- you might not even know what's going on. You, you just end up being something, someone traipsing rounds, but not really having the ability to pro process that's, that sounds like there. an hour into any race I do. <laughs> <laughs> but talking about long ones, um, more good news. Oh, go on. Nikki Spinks. Nikki Spinks. Oh, yes. She's finished the triple-double. The triple-double. If, if that's what we call it. Triple-double. That's, yeah. We're not talking about uh, in a pub. That Well, maybe she celebrated that way. I don't think she's a big drinker, actually. But um, maybe, maybe. Yeah, she's finally done... Um, I just loading the page. I can't remember which is the third one she had managed, but Paddy Buckley, uh, isn't it? say again, Paddy Buckley, the Paddy. She's done the double Paddy, which is from from all well from what she said in the interview. Yeah, double Paddy. Um, first was sub twenty four, um, and it's amazing actually. She she really even now she goes through huge waves of up and down. She said she had nine very hard hours. 
um, when she questioned why she was wasting everyone's time. Isn't that isn't that insane? <laughs> given that she's done the double in the others, she's you know unbelievably good, and yet even she had nine in the nine whole hours. That must have been one leg between um, between different checkpoints. Did where you, she, did you did you see the the start and the end of the race? No, no, no. I mean, it just, this is just, it sums it up. Just, this is very, like, British. Like, you, you just wouldn't find this, I don't think, in, a, in America, stuff like that. It's literally just a completely inauspicious start. Like, li- like, like, I think it looked like it was, like, next to a bus stop or something. <laughs> so you just, like, run off with some dogs, and then the end of it, just, it looks like, like she's literally just gone off to do a to, to do park run or something, and then just cut, you know, just go around the corner and run back like she's picking up some milk from the shops or something like that. Just completely inauspicious. Just really, really, you know, uh, um, yeah, very just sort of like typically British. Yeah, just no I mean, fuss, no fuss. I've just run all this easy. It's I mean, it's all about it's just her own personal desire, isn't it? It's yeah. incredible. Amazing, and um, because have you seen John Kelly's um, attempt that he wants to do? Yes, yeah. I mean, th- I think we're going to forgive a small amount of cheating uh, yeah. on this, but it's essentially um, all the rounds, um, but cycling in between them as well in the, in the fastest. What's the amount? In what amount of times are you going to do it? Just the oh, quickest. I mean, it's just the quickest. I think, I mean, I, I don't think it would have ever have been attempted before. No. I, I'd be surprised if all three rounds have been attempted in a year by more than, like, four people, if that. So this is, yeah, I mean, my, it's it's just, I guess it depends how quick he's doing it. Because he could, in, you know, he could finish, have a lovely nap, you know, have a bit of recovery, then cycle, and it's a nice time. If he's against the clock in his head the whole time, I'd be really worried about sleep and about his cycling when he's done the two two rounds and then he's cycling. I, I guess he'd start in Scotland. You, you want to start with that one and finish in Wales. But um, yeah, when you're then suddenly in these back little side um, side roads in Wales with people speeding around and but oh, my, it's it, that that will be next level. But if that becomes a thing. <laughs> If that's the new, it becomes insane. It's like it's it's got to an insane level now. Then there'll be the double, won't there? There'll be no. There'll be one where you swim back, <laughs> so it's a proper triathlon. <laughs> just just so you get it all in. I mean, I'd we'll we'll speak to John at some point about that. Um, possibly before actually, because I think trying to get and understand. His approach would be really interesting. Um, and then before we before we go into no 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 there's something something we like we we really have to discuss. Oh oh yes, we need to talk about Mo. Mm, oh. Right, what Mo, the hell is going on? He's a he's a he's a hero and everything, but my God, we, I mean we struggle to promote stuff well, but there is <laughs> nothing more unnatural than Mo Farah trying to do some kind of sponsored promotion. The Quorn adverts yeah. were terrible. Were utterly, utterly terrible. But, he has but at managed... least they were directed. He gave them what they wanted. Um, yeah. I, uh, no one in, in their right mind thinks that he eats corn. Um, th- th- you get that impression. But he kind of, he went through the motions. and Through the and, motions! And through the motions. <laughs> there we go. He had no emotion. That's the only problem. <laughs> Uh, but now he's been, 
I, it, it, it feels like he's been caught doing a promotion rather than it being an official promotion because it looks like he's taking the piss because he's promoting... Is it Mr. Muscle? Mr. Yeah, is, is Which is an odd one. <laughs> yeah, it looks like he might be... Maybe he his he's got a buddy who works with Mister Muscle and he's taking the piss, but I don't. I think always had a breakdown. Always, yeah, he could, that is the other option. <laughs> but I think he's too financially savvy to ever do anything that's not gonna cost a fair whack. But if so, do bad. Do bad is if you're if you're not aware of his promotion, you can get on his Instagram, or I'm sure if you just Google Mo Farah, Mister Muscle, it's just a picture of him looking very unnatural in a shower with the biggest bottle of Mr. Muscle I have ever seen. I mean, that's, that's, that's its normal size. He's just tiny. It makes you realise just how small he is. I mean, to be fair, if, if that is the normal size of Mr. Muscle, it's probably pretty good value for money because that is... See, we're, we're, doing, we're doing a better job of promoting Mr. Muscle <laughs> than he is. It, it feels as though he is being held at gunpoint to try and promote this. And they're like, make it look natural, make it look like you're enjoying it, uh, and we'll let your family go. It, yeah, it, it's it it's the weirdest thing. It just looks terrible. But the the strange thing is, they can't have paid. They surely wouldn't have paid that much money for it, for it to be so crap. But then, I assume Mo wouldn't have done it unless it was <laughs> a substantial amount of money. It's like it's 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 like really shit influencer marketing. Isn't it? Shall we do a do badder version? <laughs> Everyone get in the shower and promote something. It doesn't have to be Mr. Promote Muscle. Promote something shit in the shower. <laughs> promote something Bagging shit. Bad boy running. Promote something shit in the shower is going to be a new. <laughs> it's like a. It's a thing. This is your challenge. You've got to tag in Mo Farah as well. Tag in Mr. Muscle on Instagram. Tag in Bad Boy Running. Just do a Mark shit Atkinson. Face Mark Atkinson's going to be, like, literally, as soon as he hears this, he's going to be in a shower with a copy of his bloody book. He he's will... got a picture of him in the shower with a book already. It's all different. He's done photo shoots in all opportunities, just in case. So do better. We want you to promote the weirdest thing to have in a shower. Um, no please, don't, style. please don't put Marmite all over your body. Um, <laughs> See, the thing is, you lay down a challenge like that, someone's going to do it. <laughs> yeah. No dirty protests. Well, dirty protests. <laughs> Best place to do it in the shower. <laughs> it's a good place to do it, yeah. Mr. Muscle would really work in that situation as well. Yeah, it would. It would. Maybe this could be. And after. Yeah, we could do a before mo. So do badders, get out of there, start causing some mischief. And if you weren't listening last week, Newton Faulkner still needs to be harassed. <laughs> he's still not said he's going to play at my wedding, and um, I'm going to be reminding do badders every single week until he agrees to come to the wedding. Well, I think you you said these two things too close together. People are going to listen to this, get confused, and do a dirty protest at Newton Faulkner. We'll <laughs> be like, do- no, you've got that confused. Send send Nisa Fortner pictures of you in the shower. <laughs> or bottles of Mr. Muscle. Bottles of Mr. Muscle, whatever it takes. And actually, Mr. Muscle's bright orange, I think, which match, matches uh, the look of Newton Faulkner. So you <laughs> might go for that. But uh, the, um, and on the lighter, lighter side of things, did you see the sexy park run chat? 
honestly did. <laughs> amazing. Have, amazing. You got it, have you got it in front of you? I've just, I'm just loading it now to see who posted it in the group. So, um, so do batters. If it was, in fact, it was our very own Mark Atkinson. But I think it's the first post he's done where he's not promoted his book. Good work, Mark. Good work. Well, did he even exist before his book? That's the thing. <laughs> I don't. I, I never saw him. Is he even a do batter? He was. He was in a pond somewhere. Um, cracky way. So there is a gentleman who owns is the is this on twitter i believe or was it facebook the horton park park run it's one of the biggies one of the biggies and the the trouble is when you have more than one um, account or if you look after facebook pages sometimes you're logged in without realizing it and when you think you're posting as yourself but you're actually posting as 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 the page you represent. And I've actually, I've, I've done this my, before myself with, with bad boy running or uh, beer belly running or caffeine bullet. But so conversation to start starts. I don't know. I mean, this is the weirdest, the weirdest conversation. So don't shoot the message of people. This is just fairly horrible. But someone called Jerry G said, maybe these men need to work on their understanding of the female anatomy. Perhaps even ask the lady when she likes, you can, you can guarantee whatever she asks for will not start with his willy going inside her vag. <laughs> what is this? Who found this anyway? <laughs> what was he looking at? find this? What was this, he looking this, at in order to stumble across this conversation? <laughs> and I wonder, are they going to do a, um, are they going to have some kind of mentorship program as well? <laughs> what, yeah, what website would this be discussed? So he says, full penetrative sex is basically just a guy jacking off inside your vagina for a couple of days. <laughs> Why are we repeating this? So, Horton Park Park Run then responds, Jerry, I think it's very much dependent on the people involved. I have had penetrative sex like that and penetrative sex, which is much more than that. It depends on the willy. <laughs> At which point, someone asked, do park runs have sex? <laughs> And I'm not sure what happened after that conversation, but um, it seems to have gone fairly quickly around the internet. Um, That's amazing. Oh. Whoever, whoever that gentleman is, Horton Park. I mean, it's called Horton Park Run as well. But uh, yes, yes. Well done, Park Run. Well done, Park Run. <laughs> Park Run disgusting. L- like sex, it's not a race, people. It is not, not a race. It's not a race. <laughs> Don't forget your barcode. Wait a minute, it doesn't apply. That doesn't apply in that situation. <laughs> so, how do we link to um, how do we link to our next guest from this? <laughs> hmm. So, from, from Ding our... Dong to Hong Kong. <laughs> Ding Dong to Hong Kong. Brilliant. Can't get better than that. Take it away, Nick. <laughs> so, do badders. We're heading back to. The Orient this week, um, we, we've been fairly, I guess, American and UK centric, but um, we spoke to James Poole about his time in Hong Kong when he, I can't remember the race he did, the crazy race. And so we've had many people suggesting we contact John, um, our next guest, about his understanding of, of what running is like, you know, Hong Kong, China, all of that, but also some of the war stories he's got. Um, he is... <laughs> 
if you have a coach, he's probably the person that your oh, coach would oh, least oh. like you to be like because he seems to race every single day <laughs> and, um, <laughs> to the detriment of his health at times, which is why, partly why we've got him on. But uh, welcome to the podcast, John Ellis. Hey. Thank you. Thanks. It's great to be here. <laughs> what, time are you, what time is it where you are, John? Uh, it's about four in the afternoon, um, which means it's probably about seven where my coach is. So I hope he's not listening. <laughs> wait a minute shouldn't shouldn't you be working <laughs> is your coach in australia then he is yeah he's a guy called andy dubois and he's very tolerant and very patient with me <laughs> oh interesting and how honest are you with him no no really honest i mean you know there's no hiding when you're on strava so you know he can say he see everything that i do um so but the only you know, at the end of the day, you have a coach and you know, he'll give me a good bollocking from time to time, which I generally deserve. Um, but, he, you know, you have a coach to work with and then he helps me get better. And, you know, he's a, he's a good leash on some of my, you know, overtraining, overracing tendencies, I think. <laughs> well, that, that's the thing that because we, we don't do much research on the podcast, but we do a little bit. And that's the thing that really struck me was in every article I saw about you, it, it always has the kind of as a, a preface on his fifth race weekend in a row or um, <laughs> having done four weekends on the trot or, and these are not small races either. These are always, you know, fairly chunky. Um, is, is that just part of your ethos? Look, I, I just, I love racing. I love competing. And we're just really fortunate here in Hong Kong that, you know, during the race season, um, you know, summer, it's just too hot, but you know, pretty much from, you know, from spring through to, you know, early autumn, I mean, there's probably four or five races on trails you know, every weekend. And so you've just got this amazing choice. Um, it's a great time to catch up with friends and, you know, be part of that community. And, you know, some suckers like myself just can't help ourselves. Wow. So, and what is the kind of distance of trails that those four races are on each weekend? I mean, what is, is this the type of race where they are just all on your back door? Yeah, I mean, Hong Kong's a pretty small place. I think, you know, from one end to the other, actually, we, we've actually run it a few times and it's maybe 50 or 60 Ks from top to bottom or, you know, west to east. So, you know, they're all, you can get to them all within an hour on public transport. You know, we I know a friend who did a race on a Friday night, then the Saturday morning, then the Sunday morning. You know, if you want to do that, it's uh, it's there. And has, has there always been that culture of trail running, do you think, in Hong Kong? No, it's really grown a lot in the last 10 years. So, you know, I got here probably nine and a half years ago and you know, within six months I was doing my first solo, my first solo 100K, which was the Hong Kong 100. And that was, that was actually the first solo 100K in Hong Kong. You know, they've had Trail Walker, I think for about 30, 31 years now. Um, but you know, from that, you know, nine years ago, uh, and they're going to have their 10th anniversary next year. You know, we probably have, you know, probably over 20 races, solo races, you know, 100 Ks or more. So, you know, that shows you how much growth we've had. Um, you know, it's always, there's always been a culture here because you have had Trail Walker go for the last 30 years, but it's really only in the last 10 years that it's really exploded and taken off. What does just that mean? To, but, just, just, sorry, just to give a flavor to the listener as to what, so when most people think of Hong Kong, they just think of like the built up area. Yeah. Just to give a flavor to people, what, what, what are we kind of looking at in terms of what the landscape is around uh, Hong Kong in terms of the trails and everything, just so people have an idea of just how challenging it is, because uh, it's not yeah. flat, is it? <laughs> 
No, and and look, really simplistically, um, you know, Hong Kong's a pretty densely populated place, so they've basically built on every single bit of flat area. They've even sort of built out into the harbour, reclaimed some land, they built on that as well. Pretty much the only stuff that they haven't built on is the stuff they couldn't because it's too steep, and that ends up being our trails. So, <laughs> yeah, I mean, the trails here are hard. You know, I, I came from Perth, and, um, you know, there's a lot of flat. There's not really much in the way of hills. And, you know, for the first year or two, I was I was struggling on the trails here. There's some really steep stuff. In terms of the terrain, you know, there's a lot of stairs. I think Hong Kong's you know, most famous for the stairs. Um and so, yeah, your, your quads learn about that pretty quickly. Um, but, you know, there's some really good contour. There's, you know, mountains that go up to about 1,000 metres high. Uh, some great, you know, sort of beach runs, um, you know, descents, ascents, um, through cities, through villages, um, you know, through country trail, fire trail, really good um, variety. So what what has this, I guess, boom in trail running done for these trails? Are they still – is like is the – the challenge changing as more and more people are run through them i think you know over here the afcd is the is the regulator and i think they probably struggle a little bit with trying to keep up with you know, permits for it's probably about 200 trail races every year that we have in hong kong wow. but which is quite a lot when you consider it's you know such a small place you know geographically yeah. um you know i've seen data that you know there's probably you know, if you add in you know Every time someone goes onto the trail, there might be maybe 10 or 11 million you know, runner visits. Uh, the trail races are probably about only 1% of that. So, you know, from a, from a trail point of view, it's probably not having the biggest impact. Mm. Um, but it's certainly, you know, it's st- certainly quite regulated here. And the, and the regulators do have you know, limits like 500 runners for new races and things like that. How easy are they to navigate? So, you know, in the, in the UK, it's like trails are very, very easy. We have the Ordnance Survey and everything. What, what uh, are the trails like well marked? Is it easy to just go off on a trail with a map? What, what, what is kind of like the state of them? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's sort of the big trails. And in Hong Kong, we've got four major trails and they're really well marked. Every 500 metres, you'll get another sign pointing you in the right direction. Uh, and then there's a lot of min- there's a lot of I guess medium trails, and then there's a lot of minor trails. It's you know, depending on how much of a bushwhack that you're looking for. Um, so those are for yeah, children. There's trails everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like there's you can you can do everything and anything in between. Um, you know, when you have seven million people living in such a small area, you know they find different ways to get from A to B. And if you look hard enough, um, you know there'll be a big trail, there'll be two medium trails, and there'll probably be about twenty small trails that you can take. So you've got lots of options. And is it, in terms of the culture in the whole local region, is there a lot of, because I know at the moment running is booming in China, is there a lot of tourism of people from China coming out to uh, visit Hong Kong and race? And do, is there a lot of uh, runners going the other way and into Australia and into you know, the Philippines, places like that? We get, I mean, we get quite a lot of Chinese runners here. So, you know, really broadly, Hong Kong 100, it's probably the biggest race. It's on the Ultra Trail World Tour. Um, every year, I think probably about 1,800 runners, generally 600 from Hong Kong, 600 from China, and 600 from other parts of the world. Uh, and in terms of, you know, we get a lot of, you know, Asian runners coming to Hong Kong as well. You know, as a Hong Kong person going out to some of the Asian races, generally, you might take one or two flights out and then you might have to drive for up to five hours to get to the race. Oh, wow. Then you sort of wow. double that to come back. Whereas the great thing with Hong Kong is you 
often can get a direct flight here. And from the airport, you're going to be you know, half an hour to an hour away from the start of the race. So yeah, it's a super convenient um, you know, location for, for people to come and visit for races. Does that mean everyone's phenomenal then in Hong Kong? They're just they, <laughs> all they do are three thousand meter descents for their five k jog. And... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> yeah, like it's a pretty it's a pretty strong scene here. Um, you know, I think you know, I think when people come over, you know, they're probably surprised at you know how strong a country of seven million people can be. Um, there's definitely some home ground advantage here. You know, we love it when. You know, the Americans who are probably used to their buffed out sort of, you know, little ascents, little descents come over here and we hit them with stairs and, you know, they're walking like cowboys halfway through the race. Um, <laughs> so it's definitely a home ground advantage, but there's a, there's a strong scene here. And um, even if, you know, some of my friends who are here, we've got, you know, guys who are with the Trail World Championships next weekend, you know, guys representing Ireland, guys representing, uh, I think, Ukraine and a few others, you know, who are based in Hong Kong. Oh, really? Interesting. And yeah. did, you, did you feel part of that larger global community then? Yep. Yeah, absolutely. I, I don't know what it is with trail runners, but I think, yeah, we, we sort of, I guess we act local, think global. Um, yeah, we're always looking at what's happening around the world in trail running. And I think we relate a lot to, you know, what else is happening elsewhere. Do you have a problem with, uh, well, let's just say China has a bit of a reputation now among its runners <laughs> uh, who like aggressively cornering, cutting the odd thing. Is that, is that an issue uh, in Hong Kong or is that an issue when Chinese runners come to Hong Kong? I mean, I, I think a lot of it's just, it's probably unfair to pick out Chinese runners, but um, you yeah, know, I've been to friends. Oh, who are the others? Who are the others? <laughs> we don't mention the Russians. We know the Russians. Yeah. So. <laughs> Just an example, and not not sort of you know blaming anyone or, but you know I've, I've had a friend for example go to a Mongolian race and you know she she did really well she overtook all of the girls and then when she got to the finish line there were sort of six people that she'd passed and they hadn't passed her back and they were all at the finish line and they were claiming their prizes so you know I think it happens all over the place and from what I've seen it generally happens in countries you know that just don't have that experience in terms of organizing races and where you know maybe the prize money is actually quite a lot compared to what the average wage might be mm-hmm. um, but you know with the Chinese runners I think you know the ones that come to Hong Kong you know they've they've generally done races in China um, they're the yeah, best they, of the best generally. cheats they, they, they know how to knock them <laughs> you'll never catch them you'll never <laughs> catch them <laughs> definitely won't catch them they're too fast but, um, it's, it's always who it's always who not why think, so it's a bad yeah, Chinese joke <laughs> yeah, once you come to Hong Kong they're generally you know, they're pretty good um, you know, there was one situation I think you know, quite a fa- famous infamous situation with Hong Kong 100 a couple of years ago where actually the Chinese winner actually got dis- disqualified Um there's probably some miscommunication there, but basically ran past a couple of hikers, grabbed their bottles, and just ran off. <laughs> with with really? their permission, or uh, he thought they had that he had permission. Um, <laughs> the hikers didn't think they'd given permission. So, <laughs> David, you've got in trouble for so many things in a very similar situation. <laughs> yeah, thinking what, you what had to do with goodies, should we say? <laughs> yeah, so like there's there's situations like that, but I think you know, generally the the Chinese runners are pretty good. Um, but it's yeah, it, it's the, the the countries I guess where they haven't been doing it as long, where you know maybe they're not so good with the rules, and maybe there's a little bit more, you know, not doing the course like you meant to do the course. <laughs> 
And so, so, so the Nine Dragons is the name that um, seems to chime around you, should you say. Um, what is that race? Oh, I mean, the Nine Dragons, it's... It sounds great. Yeah, it like, like I feel so good. <laughs> I mean, yeah, I mean, I get... I do, I, two, a couple of years ago, I was sort of featured for a, a little short film that went um, to a few different film festivals. And you know, these days, I get, get people coming up to me that I don't know saying, oh, you're the guy who cried at the finish line. There's <laughs> <laughs> someone else. But, yeah, I'm, I'm the crybaby. Um, <laughs> in my defense, it's a bloody tough race. Uh, effectively, so it's... It's 50 miles on the first first day and then 50Ks on the second day. They're really tough courses. To give you an idea, the 50Ks actually 55Ks, and it's mm. got almost 4,000 metres of climbing. So, wow. you know, I think, you know, when the race director, Stephen Carr, was putting the race together, you know, he probably looked, I, I can do the, the really nice contour here or I can do the brutal steps up and down, and he's pretty much chosen choice B every single time. So it is really tough. Um Having said that, you, I mean, because I've never really raced something which has significant steps in. Yep. Does it does it kill your quads on the way down far more than just yeah. a a hill? Would? Yep, yep, absolutely. Because you just you can't really roll. It's each time you sort of step, you have to break a little bit, and so that's it's really working your quads. Um, but yeah, look, I mean, it's it's an amazing challenge. I think you know we. Um, we sort of did a little bit of research a while back, and I think in terms of DNFs, uh, DNF rates for races, it was, you know, Barclays obviously on another planet, but um, but Nine Dragons, I think, the year we looked at it a couple of years ago was probably something like it was less than a forty percent finisher rate, so it's pretty tough, and um, you know, I, I've still got the scars to prove it. <laughs> Which, when you think of the mileage, you wouldn't, if if someone told you those distances. You wouldn't think forty percent, would you? Even I mean that the ascent is obviously huge, but people tend to tend to finish races in general. Um, yeah, but I think there's probably a couple of things. So with this one, the cutoffs are pretty tight. So you've got a, a miler that's long. It's probably more akin to a standard hundred k, and I think it's maybe a nineteen hour uh, cutoff. So it's pretty tight. And then I think the second thing that gets people is just turning up for day two. It's just mm. so much easier to roll over, turn off the alarm clock, and you know, enjoy the sleep in. Do they give you like half a medal at the end of day one, <laughs> or do they give you like a four dragon medal, <laughs> so you feel like you've achieved something, or is it is it all on the next day? It's all on the next day, so it's a, it's a bit of an all or nothing. Uh, Why is it called Nine Dragons then? So basically, so in Hong Kong, we're on the island here. Uh, on the other side, there's. Um, the, the area is called Kowloon, and uh, that in Cantonese you actually pronounce it Jiulong, which um, which means nine dragons. So you look at the the main hills, and there's basically nine hills in a range, and actually I think it's eight dragons. And so the race, whoever wins the race, gets to be the ninth dragon. <laughs> oh, that's, so, that's, that's kind of so cool. romantic. I like it. Yeah. <laughs> and does yeah. that mean you, they get to dress up as a dragon, or do they get some kind of? <laughs> Sarah, are they made a, a king of the local dragon area or anything like that? <laughs> they should do something like that. Um, but no, I think I just got a trophy and uh, you, know, you better come back next year. Because didn't, um, didn't you rip your calf on, in one year? Yeah, so that was my own fault. Uh, so I had, a, I had a really good sort of – I do a lot of my training is racing, so I think I was probably up to weekend six in a row – Mm. um for racing um it was only a 35k 
this is the weekend before Nine Dragons. I probably shouldn't have done it. But, um, yeah, sort of pulled my calf, kind of knew I was in trouble, and, yeah, rolled up to Nine Dragons the next weekend. I thought it might be okay. 15Ks in, it sort of went again and basically spent the next 140Ks just running off my right heel, which isn't much fun. <laughs> but what, what does that mean, running off your right heel? Like in, in terms of practically... Are you like, literally hopping or yes yeah, so, so basically your left your left foot can just run normally but your right foot lands on the heel and then pushes off the heel so you just don't engage your toes and that way you're not engaging your calf oh it just makes and that that's kind of okay but i think the worst part was the downhills because you're coming down on your heel there's mm. no cushioning every time it sort of slips a bit and then yeah i had blisters on blisters on that heel and uh yeah it was pretty painful at the end <laughs> And and why didn't you pull out? That was that's um, why. <laughs> I would have said I've done my good quick Dragons <laughs> don't do that, David. Dragons don't do that. Dragons aren't quitters. No, I mean I've I've kind of got this no DNF record, I guess. Um, oh, it's going to no. happen one day, but to date, I yeah I haven't managed to DNF a race, and I, I find it's just a good habit to get in. Like it's just not a consideration. And yeah, if, if stuff happens, and you know, stuff invariably happens in ultras, um, you know, that's just off the table as an option. Um, you know, the only options are go fast or go slow, or either way, I've got to finish. And and did that? And do you are you still of the, the viewpoint that that was the right thing to do, to um to to carry on, or did you have any major issues following it? Uh, I mean, I was in pieces at the line, but that was probably more sort of dehydration. But um, no, I think it was. Yeah, look, you know, we can probably have another podcast in 10 years when, you know, my knees don't work <laughs> and sort of people are rolling me around in the wheelchair. Yeah, at the moment, you know, I don't mind that as a rule and I didn't have anything planned for After Nine Dragons, so I was happy to, you know, dig pretty deep and then keep digging and really bury myself. But, yeah, there probably will come a time where the sensible thing will be to stop and, you know, not permanently damage yourself and hopefully I make the right decision when that happens. So how say say we look if you take us back then you've you've got these six weekends in a row of racing because we have in fact Ali who's one of our co-presenters she in my mind does a foolish number of races in a row as well um, but she often will do it just for like a training run rather than anywhere near some kind of intensity yeah. uh, with with those six like how do you how do you approach attempting six races in six weekends uh, I, I think a lot of i think the main thing is actually just building up to it so you know for someone to go from you know one race a month to that you know straight away is just i think you're just asking for trouble and injury and so it's actually been you know just an increase over the last probably sort of three or four years just sort of building up to it um you know you feel pretty rubbish <laughs> to be honest you know when you're getting through the fifth and the sixth you know, the body has a lot of niggles and i think probably the hardest thing is just mentally because you get to that point with 20 or 30% of the race to go, and that's the bit where you've really got to start pushing. You've got to you know, really hurt uh, and push through all of that. And, yeah, after five or six races in a row, you, you really struggle, and it's easier just to sort of have a you know, look in front, look behind. No one's there, and you know, the temptation is really just to take the pedal off the accelerator and uh, cruise in. So, so are you racing these all flat out? Yeah, I've. Um, I guess I'm a competitive guy, and... I just I struggle. Yeah, I, I love the racing part of it, and um, yeah, I just I can't help myself. 
And how were you, because are you then able to, you know, are you walking the next day fine, you're training midweek, or how, how does it then impact the, the following week and fortnight? Yeah, when I'm in the consecutive racing weekends, it's generally, you know, virtually no training during the week. You know, afterwards, there might be two or three days worth of, uh, you know, just recovery. Um, you know, maybe a 5K active recovery run if I'm feeling good. Um, and then, you know, I'm, I generally don't like to run maybe a couple of days before a race. And so once you've done that, there's not really much of the, re- the week left. And do you, does that then follow through? That uh, Do you find yourself actually getting slower because you haven't done any training yeah. that, that's based yeah. on speed or... Yeah, I, I do find that um, throughout the season. Yeah, I lose some of that sort of you know speed and quickness. Yeah, having said that, yeah, I I do yeah I sort of pace it pretty slow at the start, and I do find that maybe the last ten twenty k's can be. It's probably not that quick, but it feels quick. Mm. <laughs> so I think that probably helps. I'm going to and ask you- a nutrition based question here, David. I know that's very mm. unusual for me to ask a nutrition based <laughs> one, but so, but so do you? If you can't train during the week, then in between those things, is that is is your nutrition strategy then like key in order to make sure that you recover properly? Yeah, I mean, I think you know I'm a big believer in that sort of you know that golden hour. So you know after a race, you know, you've really got to get in um, you know some carbs and protein on that three to one, four to one ratio, and so. You know, at the end of the race, I'm pretty religious on getting my tailwind rebuild in, and I'm just you know, munching a couple of those. Um, and then for the rest of the week, I'd love to say that I eat really healthy and um, you know lots of greens and all of that. I'm uh, I really like food <laughs> and I really like beer, so yeah, that doesn't help me. I, I I can sort of you know move up and down in terms of weight a little bit throughout the season because it's you know it's this real balance of you know lots of lots of calories out with the running, but then lots of calories in because. I just like eating and, you know, beer is very tasty. That's interesting because I'd have thought that you'd, with the distances of some of the races you're doing, you'd almost, bod- your body would be in such a rehealing and kind of afterburn process constantly that you wouldn't be able to eat enough to actually potentially put on weight. But may- I guess maybe if you're, if you're just doing those races, some of your, your race weeks might only be you know, 40 miles in a week. Yep. Yep. Um, yeah. Exactly. Uh, and and so, do you do you do things like weight training then to try and prepare your muscles for this kind of ravaging like preseason? Is do you concentrate on things like that, or are there any kind of tips you've got that you think help you once you then stop training to to keep on racing? Yeah, I mean it's a really good point. Um, I mean I'm I'm lucky enough to be part of there's a team you know gone running joint dynamics team and the joint dynamics side is uh, is a physio based here in Hong Kong and they run us through a really good preseason so you know one of the things that David Jackier who's the main coach there runs us through is this thing called German volume training and it's basically you know 8 to 10 squats and then you do it 12 sets and you start off at maybe 75% of your body weight and by the end of it you're trying to get to maybe 110% um you know like a, a big session of, you know, maybe six weeks of that is just so good because, you know, it really sort of helps your, your glutes, your quads, um, you know, a little bit in your calves or a bit in your core as well. And then, you know, just being strong sort of helps you heaps on the uphills, but actually on the downhills, it really helps too. And I think it really helps with injury prevention as well. Personally, I've got some pretty weak tendons and I think, you know, they can bear a lot of the impact and the force when the muscles get tired. And so if you can make your muscles, you know, a lot stronger, I think that really helps with injury prevention as well 
And and when you're on the, in these races, then what kind of nutrition and and obstacles do you face? Because it, it can be quite humid, can be very hot. Um, do you do you have all the same brands we do? Do you have all the kind of same thinking that the, the Western science supposedly tells us, or is there a little bit of kind of Chinese medicine in there as well? No, I mean I'm I'm a pretty simple guy, so with the nutrition I just keep it easy. Um, if I can get my calories through liquids, you know, I I I try and do that because I'm going to be drinking anyway. It's one less thing to to worry about. So if there's tailwind or something like that on the course, I'll I'll happily get that at every checkpoint, and then I'll top that up with gels. You know, having said that, you know some of the races do a pretty good job here on nutrition, and sometimes you might get you know seasoned uh, rice balls. Uh, actually, some of the more local races you can get uh, like cup of soups <laughs> like two minute noodles and um <laughs> yes, that, that's that's pretty neat pretty as well yeah. yeah especially on the cold ones um yeah you sort of get that into you at night and it can really warm you up for the next stage now i, I know they've opened up a bridge that goes to i think macau is it that's yeah Juhai and macau 26 miles long yes like perfect marathon distance is that runnable I think it 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 should be runnable. Um, you know, we went over to Juhai about a month ago, actually, and just try out some of the trails over there. And yeah, I mean, if they're happy to close it, um, you know, I think it could be a great marathon. <laughs> so, is have they got like? Would you be allowed to get on it, or is it just roads at the moment? Yeah, it's just roads at the moment. Um, I don't think there's even sort of footpaths. Um, so, yeah, I I don't know if they have any plans to, but it would be seriously cool. Now, and in, and in terms of your kind of racing career, have you what is on your list of races still to do? Or, or and are, there, are you now looking at ones outside of Hong Kong a lot um, now that you've you've done them so regularly locally? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, for me, you know, Hong Kong 100s always got a special place in my heart. Um, you know, just you get to race all of these you know amazing international runners. Um, yeah, that's always fun. You know, Nine Dragons, um, you know, race director Steve Carr's told me that, you know, I have to do it every year. <laughs> How many times have you done it then? Uh, all three years so far. Right. And I think pretty much every finish line, I've sworn I'd never do it again. A <laughs> <laughs> perfect race. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, I mean, those are the ones I, I really love in Hong Kong. Actually, a green race over here, do some really good races too. Um, but, yeah, just this season, I focused a little bit on this thing called Asia Trail Masters. So it's it's a, like a an Asian version of the Ultra Trail World Tour where they bring together a lot of the races. Uh, you score points for different races, and whoever does the best over the season you know, gets to be Asia Trail Master Champion. Um, and that's been really good. Um, you know, it's been nice just to get out to different trails, you know, m- you know, meet different runners, you know, just get a feel for different communities, heaps of different terrain. Um, super challenging because you know, it's Asia. You've got these tropical climates and. You know, I, I struggle with with the heat a little bit, um, but uh, but it's been you know an amazing season so far. Just getting out and getting to the Malaysia, getting to the Philippines, and, and a few other countries as well. And, and do you get a sense that the cult, the running cultures in these countries are kind of comparable to the one in your own, or, or are we all very different? I think they're the same and they're different in a lot of ways. I think the great thing with trail running is we just we're not we're ultimately competing against ourselves but so we're always trying to help other people there's not i guess with road running i always felt there was a little bit more competition um so there's very similar uh in terms of that 
and and the support that everyone's trying to help each other out. Um, but then you know they do. Everyone's got their own sort of different things. They deal with the trails a little bit differently. Um, but there's a lot of commonality, I think. You know, going around Asia and just seeing how these communities get on. And and have the races that you've kind of attended are they because in you know in Europe it's taken years and years and years to to grow in and actually things like UTMB it's only probably been the last three years where it's gone from being a trail running secret almost that people are really in trail running yeah. doing that now it's almost every runner who has done London Math and is like right now I want to do UTMB yeah um, yep. It's, uh, but but a lot of the ra- you know there's there's some shocking races there's some great races but it takes a while to learn really how to be a you know, race director and, and even yeah. what people want from trails and what people need is do you feel that um, the region has has managed has you know have they got that knowledge just because it's out there in the public domain or, or is it going through those I guess those teenage years still yeah I think it's very much a race by race basis. Um, you know, so you can go to, you know, some races can be sort of, you know, really sort of local and community focused, but they still do the, you know, the running side of it really well. Um, other races, uh, um, you know, there was, uh, you know, they, they sort of don't do that stuff as well. Um, yeah, having said that, you know, I went to Delat, did a, um, the, um, the Delat Ultra 70k a, a few months ago and, you know, that's only in its second year. You don't really think of Vietnam as being a you know big ultra trail destination, but mm. it was a race with, you know, they had an amazing expo. You know, they had Mercedes sponsoring it. They had, you know, a Mercedes in the middle of the expo. Mercedes, you know, <laughs> I don't know, C3 millions to go and pick up a lot of the runners and drive them around. They had 4,600 runners. So, yeah, you sometimes you're a little bit surprised about places you don't expect much and you get amazing and yeah, other places maybe should be better, but yeah, it's it's really race by race. Yeah, I've I've found that actually with events in um I guess less developed countries that you can often end up with some really big sponsors who you don't really understand why they're there, but it just seems that you when mercedes go into vietnam for example or if they're somewhere in thailand mercedes haven't got like a huge marketing uh, department with infrastructure ready to be like no we can only sponsor something that's on brand and so i think there's there's, there are more opportunities to get money out of sponsors yeah yeah absolutely and i think you know, when I look at the race directors, they tend to be the ones who are maybe you know the real sort of hardcore trail runners. But then on the other side, there might be more of the corporate you know, sort of, and they tend to be a lot better at you know bringing in the big brands, you know, and getting that big sponsorship through. Because uh, do you receive any weird prizes, or are there any odds um, kind of cultures or things attached that, that probably wouldn't have happened wouldn't happen over here? No, I think generally, um, you know, sometimes you get some, you know, I don't think there's been anything sort of really that jumps out. Um, yeah, I think for Delat, I mean, that was kind of cool. I, I, I was surprised at how good the prizes were. And maybe that's a function of the sponsorship. But, um, you know, for that, it was, you know, a bunch of Salomon gear. You got a, a new Sunto watch and 10 million dong, which which sounds like a lot, but it's actually, <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of dong, but it's not a lot of dongs. <laughs> I find one dong's enough for me. <laughs> Alley-oop. <laughs> um, oh, so how much would 10,000 dong be, for example? I think it's probably about four, 400 US. That's, you know, so it's nice, pays for the trip. 
but it's I, I when you that's what as you say if, if for a local runner who might not be earning a huge amount in salary yeah yeah you know, that that's that's the when we that were in Sierra Leone we had that issue yeah because you it was you know when especially when I'm not saying this about any of the countries you've been in but in Sierra Leone where some of the police were um friendly <laughs> we say with some of the runners and okay when you've got that kind of infrastructure and that um not, not i wouldn't say absolute corruption but you do have more of a, <laughs> but, you, but, but weirdly you still Ooh. said it yeah, yeah. More, of a, more of a kind of tendency to um to, to greasing the wheel <laughs> yeah. yeah when there are home advantage in, home advantage call it home advantage yeah absolutely that's when you you can understand that you know especially you get a few foreigners coming in to do one of what is one of their races really and you think well this guy doesn't need his for his 10,000 dong compared to that could buy this for my family or and yep. so it is yeah. it's very understandable why people might feel persuaded into um you know not necessarily following the rules to the to the letter <laughs> should we say have i word of that politely had today but i probably made well, it far worse well, than just yeah, saying i think there are about 17 euphemisms there yeah <laughs> what, what i love about that is that exactly applies to your racing strategy uh abroad <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely choose the ones with the biggest prizes the slowest people <laughs> i'm friends with the policeman yeah it's actually probably quite a good strategy <laughs> well i mean if i was your ability i'd be a millionaire so uh <laughs> In, oh, dong, yeah, in dong though in dong in dong yeah absolutely. <laughs> yeah, yeah so do you, do you think oh go ahead jenny i just wanted to really get an idea of um so if it say we've got people in the uk who go across to, to hong kong all right uh, and, and they want to go they want to go trail running or they want to do a few races and stuff like that what would what would be your recommendations of of doing what are the what are like the key races you've mentioned that the hong kong 100 i think that's a that sounds like a key one but what what like other things is it worth looking out for in the calendar if they were, if they were thinking of coming to Hong Kong? Yeah, I mean that's the thing. There's just so much choice over here. But um, yeah, the Hong Kong 100 probably is the biggest spectacle. They've got an expo. You get some really world class runners um, sort of coming here to race. You know, to give you an idea, you know, last year we had um, you know Dylan Bowman and Tom Evans and a, you know a bunch of other international elites. So yeah, that one's always good. Um, you know, if you're looking for yeah, if you just hate yourself and you want to suffer a lot, I think you know, I'd recommend Nine Dragons. Um, you know, it, yeah, I say that sort of tongue in cheek, but I think you know, ultra runners, yeah, you know, we like challenges, and and yeah. that's right up there. Uh, you know, if you're if you really really hate yourself, um, there's a thing called Hong Kong Four Trails. So that's where you take the the four major trails in Hong Kong. It's combined uh, 298 kilometers, 14,400 meters of climbing, and you basically just do it nonstop. Uh, I think that's what our friend James. That's what attempted. James did, yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah. So that's, you, you have that's to get in a taxi, don't you, on the in between some of the trails. At yep. which point, you could just go via your hotel quite easily. Yep, yep, and uh, yeah, you wouldn't be the first person to sort of jump out between trails, but yeah, it's it's, it's basically it's unsupported except for between the trailheads, and you know. Like I think you know you it's cut off of sixty hours if you want to be a finisher, and I think over the years maybe only seven or eight people in you know, not many not much less years than that have actually you know hit that so it's it's a pretty tough one so that's more like a a Barclay kind of scale of adventure, isn't it yeah, although yeah I mean each year you probably get 
you know, these days, you know, people have, you know, they've finessed it. They've gotten a lot mm. better at, at it. And I think these days you might get, you know, two or three finishes each year. Um, so it's not quite on the scale of Barkley. And, you know, I think at the end of the day, like the challenge director, Andre Bloomberg, he wants people to finish, um, mm. you know, which isn't the case with Barkley. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's so, true, actually. Lads will, lads will up it. It slightly exactly. harder. Oh, people finished. Yeah, one person finished last year, so now we're going to double the distance or something. So, but so what? So what is what is the challenge with the Fortress? Is it? I expect take it, it, it. Navigation's not the issue. It's it's the ascent and the the overall conditions. Yeah, I think that just the trails here are pretty tough. You know, there's a lot of stairs. Depending on the weather, it can be pretty humid, and I think you know, being out there and just sweating a lot, it's quite easy to get dehydrated, and that takes its toll. You know, there's a lot of strategy around you know, how you work your support between the trailheads and then also, yeah, just how you pace yourself as well. Um, you know, the, on the, to get to the last trail, you actually need to sort of align with the ferry schedules as well. So, <laughs> Oh, my uh, goodness. Yeah, it's a little bit of you know amazing race there where you know, you're kind of shooting for a certain ferry and, yeah, if you miss it, then you're hanging around for two or three hours for the next one. So, oh, wow, okay. yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff that can happen. And, and are the trails and the races so steep that actually a lot of it is walking, or would you say the trails are you know, fairly runnable? I think if you're if you're flat or downhill, I think you know, all of that's runnable. But you know, whenever you're hitting you know, stairs, you know, even you know, maybe sort of you know twenty thirty k races or above, you're generally walking up those stairs. You know, you can fast march, but yeah, it takes a lot to run those stairs and you know, then do it again the next hill. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, and just 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 the nature of the race mean that that really you have to be a certain level of runner in order to be able to to do it or yeah mm. obviously obviously not the four trails or, or nine dragons but is there is there a range of of races for for different abilities or yep. or, or do you you just have to be good in order to, in no, order no. to handle the train no absolutely there's a there's a whole range there so you know there's there's 5k trail races um you know goes up to 300ks um and you know everything in between and you know a lot probably more probably depends on the on the cutoffs you know the, the big one over here is Oxfam Trailwalker i think it's about 5500 people teams of four doing 100ks and the cutoff there is 48 hours so you know, in that race, you're actually allowed to get to a checkpoint. You can actually go off, stay in the hotel, come back to the checkpoint, mm-hmm. and then continue. Um, and you know, teams do that and still finish well within the cutoff. So, as hiking teams, so yeah, there's something for everyone really. And and where do you see? Because there's we've heard of a few races in China, in particular with things like the Gobi March, and where they seem to be matching, if not actually creating harder races than we're seeing in europe maybe not so much in in the states um do you think that there is now more of a drive towards that um in asia than elsewhere and and do you think that it's it's gonna eventually overtake in running terms um everywhere else well yeah i mean i I think you know a lot of places in asia are really just starting on their trail running journey and just to see where china was maybe 10 years ago when i got here and where it is today you know in hong kong 100 for example you know i've talked through some of the elites that came over and you know china basically was one two three for the men and the women in hong kong 100 so you know these are people who are you know now going across to europe and you know winning things like ccc so you know, I think there's so much talent over there. You know, it's, it's a mountainous country. There's a lot of people who grew up on the mountains and um, you know have hard lives and are just really good on on technical trails. 
and I think a lot of places in Europe, you know, the, the trail running's been uh, it's a bit more mature, and I think probably the the routes are a bit more mature as well. And so maybe some of the trails are a bit more buffed out, whereas over here, mm. you know, places of China, Philippines, you know, the routes really don't get that much traffic, so they mm. can get overgrown. They're a lot more technical. And so, yeah, some of these runners, you know, in the Philippines, you know, especially China, they can run some super technical stuff. You'll see them at the top of a hill, and then they just run and fly by, and you won't see them again. They're just they're that good. So I think, yeah, running-wise, there's a lot more to come out of out of Asia. And I think, you know, the races-wise, there's some amazing terrain, and I think we're only going to hear more and more about it in coming years. And and are there races kind of progressing up in, in, in difficulty as well? Or is that just our perception from from the few people we've spoken to yeah i mean they, they, i've done a couple of races in china i've got friends who've done a lot of races and yeah, i mean you generally don't get easy races there um yeah they've got a lot of steep mountains they're generally very technical sometimes you know i've had friends do races where they go over and you know it feels like you know the race director went out with a whippersnipper and basically sort of snipped the course the weekend before and <laughs> <laughs> you know i've yeah, I've I know of races. There's a race in Taiwan, for example, which is a 50k. The course record's nine and a half hours, and it was a pretty decent runner that did it. Wow! It gives you an idea about you know how how much climbing and how technical these things can be. And and do you think that some of them are straying into the danger territory if if the terrain is that challenge? Because we're now in a. I'd say there are very few races, other than maybe a few sky races, where you wouldn't be allowed to just enter. You know, UTMB you got to qualify for, but most races i'd say most runners in europe would feel i'll just enter that and they're used to taking on stupid things outside of their comfort zone and knowing it's safe are the terrains so tricky that there there needs to be that almost assessment of runners before you can take some of them on i mean i think a lot of the races will have you know minimum i guess qualifying standards or you have to have run this this distance before um to be honest yeah, with a lot of the you know the bushwhacky or some of the technical stuff, I think as long as you're not next to a cliff, um, you know, you'll take a tumble on that stuff, and you know you'll roll over, you'll get some scratches. I think most of the time that's okay, but yeah, some of the uh, yeah, it's generally the races where you know you're on cliff edges and you, know, you haven't slept the night before, and <laughs> that's when it can get um, you know stuff. Maybe you know I've done UTMB a couple of times. I've never had a good race, but you know I start hallucinating on that second night, and mm. yeah, that. That's probably when it gets really dangerous. Yeah, that's true. I'm, I'm yet to do a, a longer than kind of eight, nine hour race to myself. So I'm oh, you're missing through. out. <laughs> yeah, I've played, but I've been planning to do this year, but then injuries have just sadly stopped. JD's more of the, the long distance specialist. Nice. So, uh, <laughs> brilliant. Well, um, any other questions, JD? No, I don't think so. I just I love the idea that. Um, uh, that there's just this availability of all, all these trails just so close mm. to, to to where you are, um, which is you know such a, such an issue for for so many people, mm. um, and just being able to yeah like be literally within within an hour, and the fact that it's got such such good provision as well. Uh, the other mm. question I just wanted to ask really was, <clears throat> are there any other environmental factors that, um, that that are an issue on the trails? Like you know if you go like running Western states or something, there's a possibility of death by bears. Or, or or anything else what's the what's the local wildlife like yeah i mean you see a lot more of them these days um like the wild boars i think i think there was a a restaurant that got into trouble for sort of cooking one of the wild boars a couple of years ago and 
And since then, you know, you've just seen a lot more wild boars in the trail, and they're a lot less wild these days. How many were they eating? <laughs> One wow. restaurant was responsible for the depletion of the entire population. Well, I think, yeah. So, anyway, so you've got the boars. Um, you've got, uh, I guess, sort of uh, hedgehogs over here as well, um, which, are, which are pretty neat. Uh, you've got a whole bunch How of snakes. How big are the hedgehogs? Uh, probably sort of go up to your knees in terms of the spiky what? bits. Whoa! <laughs> yeah, but they're you know, they're pretty generally pretty scared. So as soon as you see one, it's scuttling away somewhere. Um, we have a whole bunch of snakes, and there's two types of snakes here. There's the cobra and the crate. Uh, both of those are the lethal ones, but you know, the others are generally okay. Um, and we have a bunch of spiders. Um, you know those uh, golden orb spiders with the really big legs. Mm. You know, they they're not poisonous, but um, yeah, it's not much fun getting one of those in the face. So do, do people have issues? And have there been incidents on races where people have been bitten or you know trapped in a web and eaten by thousands of golden orbs? <laughs> or um, is, is that a serious consideration for people? No, I think you know the strategy there is just find a tall friend to run in front of you, and uh, <laughs> and I think you're generally okay. You know, you just. After a while, you just get used to the uh, the spider webs, and um, yeah, you just sort of deal with it. Um, yeah, I, I'm involved with a, a running shop called Gone Running, and uh, and we sell spider sticks, uh, <laughs> so <laughs> they um, they can do the job as well. <laughs> is it just a stick that you poke out, basically, or I mean, is, yeah. is it is there <laughs> any more stick. kind of? <laughs> it's basically a stick. We've got it online. It's a bit of a joke product. So <laughs> Brilliant. Yeah. Had a bit of fun with that. <laughs> well, thank you so much, John. If um, when, if you make it to the UK, give us a shout, and we'd love to take you out for a. Oh, there's nothing we can offer, is there? Just <laughs> there isn't. Not really. Oh, a silly little have, path. Yeah, like grey skies and and lots of beer, I guess. Yeah, we can do <laughs> we the can beer. Do that. <laughs> yeah, nice. we'll we'll, uh, we'll we'll make our name with the beers rather than the the incredible trails because I'm London and, and JD's Brighton. So although you've got some oh, nice yeah. trails where you are, JD. So. Uh, yeah better than where i'm stuck but um thanks for coming on if there's if people want to kind of get in touch if they want to follow you track your progress your races things like that what's the best way for them to um to find you i guess um you know via facebook i'm on strava um i guess you know a little bit of a plug i'm involved with gone running which is a you know a trail shop in hong kong and then also t8 was uh I guess a technical performance trail running brand that I started with a with a friend called Mark Green, and we make some pretty cool stuff for for hot weather and um, yeah, sort of chafe free, really lightweight. So you know, you can either get in contact through Facebook, Strava, maybe uh, through Gone Running or T8. And what what type of equipment is T8? Is it clothing then? Yes, yeah, so it's clothing. So uh, we've basically got some guaranteed chafe free underwear, which is a I guess a pretty big claim. Um, but we've we've tested it. Uh, yeah, the, the testing took a long time, you know, because <laughs> yeah, each time you want to test it, it's basically, you know, at least 50Ks and generally close to 100Ks. So, so this is you know, the real reason you've yeah. been messed up there. It's product testing. <laughs> Just trying to wear oh, them yeah. out, see how many miles you get. testing, yeah. <laughs> and, yeah, we, um, you know, testing in Hong Kong where, you know, it can be sort of 35 degrees, 80% humidity. You know, you, you test it in some pretty good conditions here. And, yeah, so we've got that. We've got these things called Sherpa shorts, which have an integrated running belt. So, you know, I love running without a top, um, mm. which also means I probably like running without a backpack. And so if I can yeah, – a lot of the products, you know, I love myself because you can put, you know, a litre of water in there, you get your phone, some gels, and you just go out and it's mm. got everything you need. So, yeah, a little bit of the plug there. But, um, yeah, that's that's what T8's all about. 
and I, and I can imagine that being very popular with um, certain obstacle races as well, because we we as, as British tend to keep our tops on just because we've got that um, slight um, shyness, shall we say, modesty. In it, but, <laughs> well, I, obstacle races are all topless, so have you found some of them who do uh, more long distance ones? They love those pockets. <laughs> yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Brilliant. Well, thank you so much for coming on. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. And uh, I, I think I'll be at Hong Kong at some point in my life. So uh, give you yeah. a shout if I ever am. Yeah, for sure. Come over. Um, let us know when you're coming over. We'll, we'll sort you out for some races right. and um, yeah, get you signed up for Hong Kong Four Trails. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> the next nine dragons. Yeah. Perfect. You can be the tenth dragon. Why say that <laughs> nine? <laughs> Cheers, John. All Cheers. the best. Okay. Brilliant. Thanks Bye. very much, guys. interesting so i don't know about you but i just think it's the name of the nine dragons that that makes me feel like i want to do it yeah it's completely like, it's like this the chinese thing it just i don't know what it is about I mean, like the romance to to something if you called it the two hills 100k or something like that it would be rubbish but you call it nine dragons and all of a sudden you think of like you know this chinese mystical crouching tiger hidden dragon does the dragon's back do the same has it got the same mythology for you it doesn't really it's they've what they've done with with the welshman the dragon's back is they've managed to make it sound like really mundane haven't they like the dragon's back <laughs> yeah <laughs> the most, what's the most boring bit of a dragon his back the dragon's back yeah let's do the back of the dragon <laughs> You so it's like he's track. sleeping and you're just creeping yeah, along. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Just like, don't mind me. I'm just, I'm just going. There's just nine dragons. You're like, why are there nine of them? And then they've got a little <laughs> story that there are eight dragons and you can be the ninth. And you're like, oh, it's, it's beautiful. But the, that's the thing. He's he's winning all these races. I don't know all of them, but he's winning most of these races as well. He's very, it's very humble about it. But that's what's crazy is that how do you? I guess it's a bit like Alban where you don't have the ability to train and you lose your fitness during the course of a season. Yeah. But you're still racing every weekend and still beating people that are peaking at that one race. So here's a question for you. Are you racing? Because when you're racing, you're racing against other people, aren't you? So if you're so good that you're that far ahead, you're still effectively racing, but you still might not be going at 100%. Yeah, that's true, actually, yeah. So, because I think he said a few times that, you know, he looks around and there's no one on him. Um, but then it might be, the trouble is when you're racing, you, if you look behind, there's no one there. They might just be 30 seconds away and you don't know it. And if you if you suddenly slow down, it's very hard to pick it up again. Because even a, a longer distance, do you find that with, you know, we've done hundreds or once you're set in a pace... If, if because it's such a long distance your body's going to be destroyed from it no matter what and so then trying to be like now i've got to ask it to do more i find that even like london marathon pacing if you at the end of a 315 if you told me to say right now run what would be your normal marathon pace i'd really struggle to do it i'd probably find it easier to do my marathon pace at the end of running that pace for the whole marathon than than jogging the first 25 miles. I think pacing must be real, really hard with, with, with this kind of ascent, especially with things like steps. 
Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's not as if, you know, this is like a, you know, these races are anywhere near flat. It doesn't sound like there's any flat at all on any of these races that, you know, if you're the only part that you're running in is the part they couldn't build on, that's got to be pretty steep because they built on pretty much everything. Yeah, and, and that's that's what I, I always struggle with the, because the ascent is big, but then again, there must be, because it, it, if you look at the videos, it's so steep, their terrain that they must do a lot of winding round hills maybe or rather than just going up down up down your the paths maybe are a walking path so they don't actually go this the toughest ascent yeah it's all i can figure because the like 50 4000 meters in 50k is a huge amount um but it's not it's not substantially more than something like the red bull steeplechase where there's a lot there's quite a few climbs but actually you are doing a fair bit of running that's not just climbing but you it's always just slightly down slightly up around the sides um but yeah i wonder whether they do have that that slow end culture that we do because it just sounds so hard yeah it does i don't know it's just would you run more or less if you were there do you think I don't think the thing is. I think that you don't really have much of a choice. I can't imagine because it's so populous. I, I've never been to Hong Kong, so it's a very difficult thing. But I get the impression it's so populous that just kind of like running out on the road is a it isn't a great experience. Yeah. That yeah. if you're going to run, it's got to be on the trails. If you're going to do any sort of substantial, substantial running. Um, yeah. I, think, I, I, I don't know. I think you. I think you'd probably run more. It sounds like they've got like an incredible community as well that mm. comes with that uh but also the ability to go out to lots of different places where it's almost they're almost like pioneering uh races so you're getting to go to races where they you know it's the first few years and everything and while that has problems that must also also be amazing to get there before you know other westerners do uh and you know to get there when it's relatively you know un uncommercial and untouched although i guess we get that a little bit (laughs) yeah i guess we get a bit a little bit with if you go to races in bulgaria or romania or um where you're going to territory that people don't typically even walk on and so you can discover it but it just I i guess it's because we're we've been to a lot of these countries before it seems far less exotic far less exciting and also because the animals as you say aren't going to kill you and that's that's the you know the the back of your mind if i was running somewhere like that i'd always be thinking where <laughs> wow are that hedgehog's big that's a big hedgehog yeah. how big are the hedgehogs i mean there's their hedgehogs make sense because they're the size of a hedge <laughs> It's a proper name. They are, and they're they properly, are hogging properly hedge. hogging that hedge. Yeah, there's no, they're not taking up a small part of it. They're taking up the whole of the hedge. Yeah, yeah, crazy. Um, I mean, they they must be delicious as well, I'd imagine. Hedgehog that size. Because the hedgehogs are meant to be quite tasty. Well, I don't know, like that restaurant that was clearly doing a roaring trade in, in uh, trail wildlife. <laughs> yeah. Do you think they're one of the sponsors? <laughs> yeah. Run the trail, eat the wildlife. It's like yeah. kind of, it's kind of like the, the one the of the aid race. stations, just all bacon. 
<laughs> no, no, incredible. But yeah, I like the idea. I like the idea of. Um, I don't know what it is about Hong Kong. I don't because it like because it used to be British. I suppose it feels mm. as though it's slightly different from everything else. But I like the idea. Yeah, the fact that there are so many races there, and it's quite a good. Mm. It's quite a good jumping off point as well. And you know that you're gonna. You can do like luxury, but this is so. This is the thing, which I think is really underplayed. Which was sort of underplayed there, that like the humidity, like the idea of like running in Vietnam with that kind of humidity. You know,、mm. I've been to Vietnam. I've been to like Southeast Asia. It, <laughs> but it's it's difficult enough walking like anywhere. Yeah.、Uh, let alone like doing a, a race. So yeah, and I think probably the most the most humid place I've been to. Uh, for a race, it's probably Sierra Leone, which is almost kind of like oh, yeah, that, that was that was really high humidity, and that needed a lot of、um, a lot of hydration. We we didn't have any gels, I suppose, then, did we?、Um, but but yeah, it'd be interesting, like the difference that would make in in your nutrition、uh, and everything else. That, Even in your organisation, because if I go for a Sunday run, I just take my keys with me, and sometimes I might take you know. A bullet or a pack of shot blocks in case I'm really tired. But normally I won't have anything on the run at all for like two, three hours. Come home, but when I was there, it, that humidity and you really need to be packing for each longer run, each training run, really. Especially if you're up in the mountains and there are creepy crawlies and things that could go wrong. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That's it. It's not really easily accessible、uh, if something does go wrong. Yeah,、so、even a sprained ankle or something, where you're suddenly in a three-hour walk back or whatever it may be, because I can't imagine they get a copter out to you for a sprained ankle. <laughs> no. But, But I just what I really like, which I'm, I'm going to look at more, and we didn't. I mean, James was talking about it. Obviously, James Paul was talking about it. Obviously,、um, but. Didn't have a look into 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 the detail of the four trails, but the idea of getting taxis between the bits and then having to get on a ferry, I absolutely love that. Yeah, and the the having to time it as well, and it, but in it'd be one of those if you miss the ferry, in a way you'd be so pleased, but <laughs> you'd be so angry because you could just have this three hour nap. And it's almost forced, forced upon you in a good way. But it's, then it's like when you're, it's pressure... like yeah, it's like you're like when you're running and you get to a、um, uh, what's it called a traffic crossing, and 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 all the you know the, all the what's it called the green man go the man goes green, and you're like, damn it, I wanted to rest, and now I've got to cross. <laughs> but that must be heartbreaking if you get in there and then the next seven runners all come in over the course of the next two hours. And you're all on the same ferry. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.、Um, yeah, you're, all your all your your hard work and everything means nothing. Yeah, and it, it does change your tactics.、Um, but the idea of also having seasonal running as well, because as as you know, you're you're here from the interview of Nick Anderson.、Um, I rarely have a week where I'm not running at least forty miles, like if if ever, for the last don't know how long. Um, how many years? Unless I've mingled out. Whereas in places like Hong Kong, you do have proper seasons where you're just not going to run for several months of the year, and, and maybe that gives you even more passion for running because you you just you imagine that first weekend where the wet season passes and you're, you're just chomping at the bit. But then 
you've got all this passion, but you've got no fitness either. And you've got no condition. Maybe you can have conditioning in the gym, but you know, are these people in the, on treadmills throughout the, I'm, I'm not going to say winter cause I don't know which throughout the rain season. Um, and like, how do you, how do you do these races when for me, I'd want to build up to like a hundred K for six, seven months, but they can't because the, the conditions. No, no, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Well, um, great to great to hear from another part of the world. And um, if you if you liked that interview, the the James Paul one's very good. He took on the four day. We we talked to him before he went out, um, and he also talked about was it the Gobi March or <laughs> with the hallucination? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Where he salute. Well, we won't tell you what he hallucinated, but really interesting. Um, Harvey as well. Um, so Alfie, Alfie Higgins is another um, runner who's been out to China and taken part in the races, ended up coming second, was a, a local celebrity on the television and all of that really, really funny story. Um, and even our man Richard from Australia, he's talking about Australian running as well. Um, it's worth looking that one up. Any, I think that those are the only three we've really had from the region. Yeah, no, um, We've already touched upon um, the other Dragons-related race with Hugh, Hugh Brassington. Yes, that's right. Yes. Uh, so if you want another Dragon-based race, that's, the, that's another interview to listen to. And it's always good listening to him as well. Yeah, he's got one of the loveliest voices you'll ever hear. Cool. Well, good to catch up again, buddy. All right then, man. We'll see you later. Bye 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 bye